Imagine if you lived in Florida your whole life and you never went on an airplane. And you had no idea what it felt like to have your ears pop. That'd be weird. I'm driving up a... I don't know. I'm driving through the Catskill Mountains. So I'm driving up some hills, up and down some hills, and my ears popped. Then it dawned on me, like, there's people who don't even know what this feels like. Imagine if you lived in a city your whole life and you never drove on a road through wilderness. What the hell would that be like? I wonder if they'd be afraid, even in the daytime. Like, if you took someone to New York City and stuck them on this road out in the middle of the Catskills where I haven't seen another car in a bit, although a truck just drove by me, but it might be 10, 15 minutes between vehicles. 20 miles between little towns. I wonder if somebody from New York City would freak out. <laughs> I think we should try it. Make a TV show out of it. Oh, here comes a car driving on the wrong side of the road. That's fun. So thanks for tuning into the In the Truck podcast. While we're imagining things, imagine you lived in a city in the northeast or the northern part of the United States. And on a July, end of July day, you got invited to a party, you know, like a cookout at a friend's house, friend's apartment building, I don't know what they do. And you decide you're going to go, so you put on your shorts and your sneakers or whatever and a t-shirt and you walk outside and it's 95 degrees. And because you're in a city which is essentially just concrete and glass and asphalt and vehicles and people. 95 degree day feels like a 110 degree day. And you're walking through a crowded street. Depending on the city, it might smell like urine or rotting garbage. And you're walking by just crowds of anonymous faces of people you don't know and they're all determined to get someplace or another and they're all hot everybody's uncomfortable the sun's just beating down on you you're starting to sweat and every corner you get to there's a machine with a light on it that tells you when you can and cannot cross the street and where And when it says don't walk, you just stand there with a bunch of people you don't know. You don't speak to one another. And they can get crowded on certain corners, man. You can get packed in pretty tight just stand there waiting for that thing to say walk. And there's just endless, infinite cars going by, like an assembly line of cars. And they're not paying any attention to you whatsoever. And you're not paying attention to them, except to make sure they don't run you over. And it's hot. And you get about four blocks, and you're hot and uncomfortable. And you gotta go down in the subway because your friend lives a little bit farther away. 
So you go down on the subway platform and the air is just still and stagnant. It's poorly lit. There's a bunch of people standing around. You dare not make eye contact with them. Eventually the train comes and you pile in the train and you sit down and maybe there's 20 people in the car with you and you got to look around and wonder. Kind of scan the group. Try to make sure there's not a drunk that's going to accost you or an insane person. Pray that nobody on there is going to mess with you or somebody else that you don't have to get involved. You hope that no one's a mass murderer or a gang member looking to make his reputation by stabbing somebody, whatever. It's a high-stress environment the whole way. From the minute you leave your apartment to the minute you get to your friends, it's high stress. You're on edge. It is hot. It is uncomfortable. You're packed in tight with people you don't know. You get down on that subway, it's even hotter. It smells bad. And some of the people smell bad. And you get packed in that train car. You're vulnerable. Then you get out the other end of the train car and you walk back into the sunlight. It seems like it's even hotter. And every corner you come to, the machine tells you when you can and cannot cross the street. There's cars driving around looking for parking places and they got to look at little signs to see where to park and where not to park and it's taking too long and they're late for work or a meeting or a date and they're stressed out and you're stressed out. Finally, you get to your friend's apartment. You go up to the little stoop there and you got to press a button and they talk to you through an intercom system they buzz you in the door unlocks and you go in go up the stairs to their apartment up on the roof there where they have the cookout and then you can relax you know you're in a place with people you know or are friends of friends and it's friendly faces you know the faces you know the people Deep inside, you know you're safe there on that rooftop. You have a hamburger, a couple beers, all is good. All is well. But even if you're the most experienced city dweller, at the end of that cookout, the last half an hour before you know you're leaving, somewhere deep inside yourself, you're still preparing yourself for the journey the other way. You're preparing yourself for the still oppressive heat. You're preparing yourself for the strangers and the unfriendly faces. You're preparing yourself for the frustrated drivers. You're preparing yourself to be told when you can and can't cross the street. You're preparing yourself for that train ride with those strangers and wondering... You gotta get ready. Can't let your guard down all the way. That's the reality city people live with every day. 
Well, in the summer when it's hot, right? So let's flip it around. Somebody from the so the outskirts of suburbia or a rural area. Friend invites him for a cookout. Either it's half a mile down the road and just walk down there. You know, you or your wife make something, a dessert or a casserole or some baked beans or something, macaroni and cheese, and you walk down there either alone or with your family, depending on your situation. Or you go out and get in the car or truck or a van or whatever and you drive over to your friend's house and the air conditioning on roads with few, if any, cars on them. You might hit a stop sign. You might not. You go to your friend's house. He's got a couple acres and a big porch and maybe he's got a pool and, you know, it's hot but it's breezy and you're hanging out and you're around trees and green grass and friends. Everybody's relaxing. Maybe they throw a football around. Maybe you go swim in the pool. Just hanging out and having a good time. Zero stress. Not one second of stress or uncomfortable interactions with other people from the minute you leave your house to the minute you get to the barbecue, the cookout, to the minute you leave there to go home. You don't have to prepare yourself for the journey. You're just like, oh, it's time to go. Maybe you prepare yourself because the last hour you don't have a beer. Because you never know when them sheriff's deputies might be hanging out down there on Johnson's farm. It might be that new young one who's looking to make a name for himself, causing trouble. Kind of everyone you see, somebody you sort of recognize, they look like they belong. Every once in a while you see someone who looks like they don't belong. But most of the time, everybody kind of looks like, you know, okay, they, they fit the scene. They know what's up. No stress. Those are two totally different worlds. The people who live in them live different existences. Both those places could be 20 miles apart, 30 miles apart. You can go 30 miles from downtown Manhattan and be in farm country. And yet, okay, those people live in the same country. They live in the same state. They might as well not live on the same planet. Those are two different existences. Why slightest bit surprised that they feel differently about things? If you looked at the electoral map from 2016, the presidential election, and you do it by county, right? So like every county, they have this, Google it. Every county that's won by a Republican, Trump, is red. And every county won by, excuse me, Hillary, is blue. It looks like this giant red map with a couple of blue dots on it. Because most cities are their own counties. So you have these little dots, Boston. You know, even in super blue states like New York and California and Boston, most of the states are red these little urban dots what that's telling you is there's an enormous ideological divide in our country urban versus non-urban this past Sunday I stood outside my daughter wanted to uh, audition for a, the Nutcracker Ballet and uh, I, 
we didn't know how that worked, so we thought we'd go and watch her audition. Like, it'd be in a theater, we'd sit in the air-conditioned seats, watch her do it. It was a hot day. For September in upstate New York, man, it was hot. But we had to go to a city, not New York City, but, a, you know, a city. And we dealt with all that. We had to go and park the car and find the place, and we don't really know the place that well, and I can't figure out where to park, so I end up dropping them off, then I gotta go park and come back, and I'm walking, and it's hot. Like at home, I was outside with my son that morning, and I had jeans and a t-shirt. Felt fine, but you get into a city, and I, yeah, it's a couple. <clears throat> it's a couple hours later. It's warmed up a little, but man, standing in that environment of nothing but concrete, glass, no shade, it's brutally hot. And it turned out the way it worked was the dancers went and went into some audition space and audition, and the parents stood outside. So we ended up being there almost three hours, standing there just sweating. And at one point, my wife said, "Go, go see if you can find some place you can get some water." So we went for a walk, and uh, where we were was like the bar and restaurant district, I guess, because I started walking, and it was just bar after bar after bar after restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. And finally, after about eight or nine blocks, I found a uh, righty, like a drugstore, and I went in and bought some water. But you know, on the walk, I'm walking, and they've got. Uh, crosswalks and they chirp bird noises which I don't know what that means but they all do that and there's all these different signs of park here don't park there park here this day don't park there one-way street two-way street there's a lot of information of rules there's a lot of uh, rules that are being told to you all over the place and it's such an enormous contrast from where I live and we only had driven about I don't know what 15 16 miles it's just in a different world and the place is crumbling. You know, those buildings crumbling and sidewalks are broken and some places they fixed it, but some places they haven't got to yet and the roads, you know, some of them are okay, but some are pretty beat up and... Just a lot going on. A lot of people. Even in that district. So, it was, you know, it's Sunday, the restaurants aren't open yet, most part. Still a ton of people out milling around. Very different from my reality. Where I live, if I want to cross the street, I just look both ways. So I tell the kids, look both ways. That's it. That's the rule. There's no crosswalk. There's no uh, machine telling you to walk or don't walk. There's no bird chirp. Unless it's an actual bird chirp. You know, because we got birds. And it dawned on me being there and standing out there and sweating and seeing all of it. It makes sense that that urban environment would create liberals or leftists. If you're in a highly stressful place where you don't know anybody, you don't know what their intentions are, what their motivations are, what they're, what they're going to do, you're never going to know them. It's not like you're new in the neighborhood and eventually you'll know everybody. That's never going to happen. You could live in New York City in the same building as somebody else for 30 years and never meet them. That's theoretically possible. I know everybody lives on my street. <laughs> I know what vehicles they drive, I know their kids, I know if they have a dog or not. Some of them might have like a secret turtle I'm unaware of or a newt or something. 
or one of those hamsters in a ball. But every part of their family that goes outside, I know. <laughs> it's a different world. And if you're in that highly stressful, and the summer's so hot, and that kind of heat stresses people out, makes people crazy, the crime rate goes up. These people are on edge. You're gonna want a lot of rules. Rules make sense. If you wanna have the little crosswalk lane, here's where you can cross the street. I don't want people crossing the street everywhere. You cross right here. And you wanna have machines telling people when they can and can't cross the street. You can't just willy-nilly be crossing the street. You gotta have rules to that. And park in your car. You can't park anywhere you want, whenever you want. You gotta have rule. Where I live, there's literally no, no parking. You can park anywhere, on any street. There's some parking, like businesses have parking lots. There's a couple uh, like park and ride things where people can take the bus to work. There's no rules there either. The park and ride parking lots where I live, which is a parking lot where you drive your car to and then the bus comes and picks people up. It's like a bus, it's like a bus stop with a parking lot. There's no rules about who can and who can't park there. Like I can go park my car there and just leave it there the rest of my life. Nobody would ever say, say a word about it. The only places you can't park is like the fire lane in front of the grocery store or a handicapped spot if you're not handicapped. That's it. And then once a year on the 4th of July, we have a big 4th of July thing. They put up these little cardboard signs that say no parking down the, down the, around the street, around the area where they have the 4th of July celebration. Um... Because, well, two reasons. One, there's a parade, and then the other reason is because I think people getting in and out, you don't want cars parked on the roads, and they, they're partially on the road, blocking it. The rest of the year, you could park there if you wanted to. No biggie. It's a different world. So if you're in that environment where you want rules, you want you know people's behavior dictated, you want these norms spelled out stiff, This is the acceptable lane to walk in. This is the acceptable behavior. This is the acceptable place to stand. This is the acceptable place to park. This is what you can and can't do. You want to have all these micromanaging rules because then it makes it more manageable. Psychologically, it makes it more manageable. And I think if you're there long enough, if you live that reality long enough, you grow up with it especially. It's just the norm to you. Then it makes sense to make rules for things. You got a problem, you need more rules. More structure, more rules. Nowhere is this more obvious than in the gun debate. If you talk to a person in a city nine out of ten times and you say, hey, we've got a problem in the suburbs of kids shooting schools. What should we do about it? They run right to rules. No guns. That's their solution. No guns. If you go out in the country, same problem, same awareness, same information available, same everything, and you say to people who are around guns all the time. In a quarter mile, turn right to stay on New York 23. Did you pick that up? So in a city, if you hear a gunshot, it's always bad. There's no good gunshot. There's no positive emotion attached to that whatsoever. There's not really an appropriate 
Even if it's a good guy, police officer shooting a bank robber, it's not good. Nobody's excited about it. Nobody's happy. It's not a good thing. If you go out in the country, 99.99999% of the times you hear a gunshot, it's a good thing. It's either hunting season or people are sighting in rifles getting ready for hunting season or people are at the fish and game club doing target practice or skeet. Or just some friends get together on their buddy's land and they're goofing around shooting for fun. I grew up about a mile as a crow flies, eh, maybe three quarters of a mile from a fishing game, the fishing game club in, in the town I grew up in. And from the time I was three when we moved there until I, you know, eventually moved away. Gunfire was near constant. It was just part of life. It was no big deal. <laughs> and I heard somebody one time said, oh, it must be like, it was like growing up in a war zone. I was telling the story. And like, it's like growing up in a war zone. And I was like, no, not at all. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, well, because there's no stress associated with the noise. Like, if you grew up in a war zone and you hear gunfire all the time, that's hugely stressful. You know, people are dying. Might be people you know are dying. Might be your family dying. I mean, that's terrible. What a horrible, stressful thing to grow up in a war zone. For me, it was just, you know, people having target practice, doing skeet contests, whatever. There was no negative consequences of the gunfire. So it just became normal. Eventually, by the time we were about 10, 11 years old, it became a game to try to pick out if it was a shotgun, a rifle, or pistol. And I had friends who could swore they could tell the caliber of a pistol or a rifle based on the shot from three quarters of a mile. I don't believe that for a second. But they said they could. But so it's just different. So you go out in the country and you say, hey, we've got this problem with suburban kids shooting up schools. What, what do we need to do to fix it? And you hear a much more nuanced answer. Involving mental health, security guards in schools, the uh, moral decline of our society in general. And the reason isn't because people in cities are bad people or people out in the country are bad people. It's because they're, they live in a different reality. There's an activist, civil rights, I think he's a civil rights activist, a guy from Chicago who gets it. And I don't know if he spent time in the country or what his story is. But he was talking about this after, not this last Florida shooting, but um, one before. And uh, he was saying that he totally got, got it. And it made sense that people out in rural areas want to have guns, have guns. You know, from a, for, from a, a variety of perspectives, I suppose. But for self-defense especially. Like, you may not understand if you live in a city... There's places in this country 911 calls half an hour. You know. And the heroin epidemic has reached the the edges of the map. That middle part of the country that you like to fly over. Heroin is there. So, 
some dope fiend breaks in your house where your wife and kids are sleeping, call 911. That's a half an hour away before that sheriff deputy is going to get out to your property. And this guy got that, right? He said, you know, he totally understood that gun culture of suburban and rural America was different than in a city. And in cities, there shouldn't be guns. And in the country, there should be guns. In a way, that makes sense. I mean, we like to all live under one constitution and one set of rules. But in a way, it makes sense to say that, okay, well, the, these are just different, right? The the existence of the mega city is, is a new thing. Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Nashville. These cities have gotten big. The Bessemer process has allowed us to build buildings that are very, very tall, which has let us put a ton of people in a small space. It's a different thing. And then the reason I was saying a northern city is think about the winter. There's going to be a day this January towards the end of January when I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to walk outside there's going to be about six inches of the most beautiful white powdered snow covering everything and I get up and get going pretty early so when I get outside about 5 36 o'clock it's going to be quiet There's a beauty to that, seeing those trees covered in snow, the ground covered in snow. And there's a silence. If you've never been outside while it's snowing and the ground is covered in snow and there's nobody around, you've never heard silence. It's just a hush. It's a whole different thing, and it's awe-inspiring, and it's beautiful. And then I'll clear my driveway and brush off the wife's car and brush off my truck, and I'll get out of there. And all day, it'll be beautiful. As the sun comes out, some of the snow on the trees might melt and drip, and you get little icicles and... Everybody drives a little lower, takes their time. Some people don't go out, so the roads are even less crowded than normal. It's just this wonderful experience that I really look forward to. I come home in the afternoon, the kids are outside playing in it. They've, they're sledding down the hill out in the backyard. Or they built snowmen they want to show me out front. They want to have a snowball fight which I never let them win. Never let your kids win at anything. <laughs> the closest I come to letting my kids win anything is when we play basketball, I let them shoot. I do not block the shots. I think that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> That's it. So I play defense normal. I cut them, cut them off. I'll take the ball when they're dribbling. But once they stop to shoot, I let them shoot. Once they lose, pick up their dribble, and they, you know, that's fine. You go ahead. That's it. But they're not winning a snowball fight until they're good enough to win a snowball fight. <laughs> and I don't hit them in the face. Because that wouldn't be nice. 
So yeah. But that's snow for me. That's a winter day for me. And it's cold, man. It could be... First in the morning when I go out there, it could be 10 below. Or zero. Little wind chill going on. In the afternoon, it might get up to, you know, 10 or 15, 20 degrees. Fahrenheit for all you communists that do Celsius. And then... Uh, you know, by the time I, in the evening, afternoon, evening, when I get home and the light's kind of fading and the kids are out there playing, it's back down to, you know, 10 or zero. Everybody's bundled up in gloves and shirt, sweatshirt, jacket, hat, scarf, snow boots, snow pants. Everybody's all bundled up. I look forward to it all year. The same way I look forward to going to the pool in the summer, going to the lake in the summer, Grilling out. Same way I look forward to the spring and planting flowers. The same way I look forward to the fall and the leaves turning colors and the hills just exploding with this fireworks display of yellows and oranges, deep reds. I look forward to that winter. What's that like for people in a city? <laughs> it is a different experience. It's filthy. And tons of things in the city are heat vents. So pretty rapidly, a six inches of snow turns into about three inches of disgusting, filthy muck. And it's cold there and it's windy. But there's none of the beauty to offset it. Just wet, cold, nasty, filthy. Roads get closed, sidewalks get closed while they figure out how to get rid of the snow and shovel it up and throw in dump trucks and drag it out of the city. New York City had a big snowstorm. Um, I don't know when it was. Maybe four or five years ago. They got 18 inches of snow or something like that. Freaked out. For us, that's totally normal. They freaked out and uh, they couldn't do anything about it fast enough. Like Diabetics were dying. People had called 911 for the ambulance to come. The ambulance couldn't get to them. People died. What a nightmare. That's different. It's stressful. It's horrible to think about going outside and walking through puddles of slush, knowing that every can't go too close to the street on the sidewalk because every car that goes by is going to splash muddy, wet, 33-degree salt yuck on you. No matter how far you get over on the sidewalk, you might still get hit with it. You got to go to work and sit there all day with wet, wet shoes, wet feet. And then after work, you have to go back out and do the whole thing again. There's no re redemption in it. There's no redeeming quality. It's just cold and disgusting. And the wind, because of the buildings, the wind blows sideways. Right in the eyes, your eyes watering. This is miserable. You're in that situation and it's stressful and it's miserable and you just want to start putting rules on people. <laughs> where you get out in the outer suburbs where people have a half an acre or more, you get out in the country where people have 10 acres of land, you don't want to put rules on anybody. Nobody's bothering you. You got 10 acres, you just let the dogs out. There's no fence, no neighbors complaining, no nothing. You just live your life. 
and some politician or somebody on social media starts talking about wanting to make rules, you freak out. Because you don't see a need for rules where you're at. Where you're at, nature is beautiful and something you can tend with on your own and your guns are safe and they're not hurting anybody. And you cross the street wherever you want and you park wherever you want. And you come and go as you please and you run your own life. And you don't understand why you're paying all these taxes for programs. Because you look around and you see good people. And you know what? Some of them might be on programs. Maybe the people you know are on food stamps or maybe the people you know are... on Medicaid who knows you don't know about it because they don't talk about it you don't get it you think people should work hard and take care of themselves and that's your reality you don't think anybody should tell you what to do with your own property or your own guns you don't think you should be paying taxes on things and if you live in a city it's very different the sense that you're all in this together and there's a lot of us is shoved in your face every minute of every day. The fact that we need, hey, that sidewalk's broken. Hey, that street's got a big pothole in it. Hey, you know, the, the train broke down or and somebody says, hey, we need more taxes so we can clean that up. And you're like, yeah, good. We need more taxes so we can fix that train. Okay. We need whatever we need. Because you're in this group that you're all smashed together and you don't even know each other. So the idea of paying for something that we all use makes sense to you because you live it every day. And if you're out in the country, there's nothing that we use. Maybe local roads. But there's not a car a second driving over that road. So it lasts a lot longer. Yeah, the winters can be hard on them and you get some potholes in the spring and the town comes out. The guys you know couple guys you went to high school with and one of their cousins they work at the town highway department and they come out and fix that pothole and they fix a pothole a day and get done you know july august september just in time to start getting ready for the winter again snow plowing and salting and all the other things they do these aren't big problems so yeah i'll pay some tax like all right we'll have some rules I mean, obviously, the big rules, you can't steal, you can't destroy your neighbor's property, you can't hurt anybody, you can't, right? Okay, all that, yeah. We're, everybody's okay with those rules. But you start getting in and telling people what size soda they can drink, what words they can say, where they can go and can't go, what time things close, public open spaces having, oh yeah, the park's closed, what? What are you talking about? And we need this program. We're going to take care of everybody. No, you don't. Right? The outer suburban and the rural people are saying, no. Things are hard out here. Having a hard time making ends meet. You want me to pay more for people I don't know? Maybe my sister's on hard times. Her lousy husband left after all these years of being a bum, sitting on the couch, finally just took off on her. He wasn't barely any good to begin with, but now, you know, that's my sister, the mother of my niece and my nephew, and now I gotta help her out with some groceries. I gotta help her out. 
you know, my nephew, he's got braces. Maybe I got to help pay for those braces because his lousy dad took off. And then you got some politician from the city telling you he was going to raise your taxes for this great program that's going to help people. But you're like, man, that ain't going to help me. Things are already hard out here. It's a different mindset. And it's partially created by the environment. It makes sense It makes sense to want to have rules that regulate strangers who are perhaps malevolent. It makes sense when you are living on top of each other that, hey, we're all going to chip in and do this thing to fix this thing that we all need. Help our neighbors, whatever. It doesn't make any sense if you go out where the houses are a quarter mile apart. It stops making sense. Like I said, it's not that city people are bad people. It's not that rural people are bad people. There's this tendency now, especially I think on social media, to paint each other that way. Like all those evil socialists want to control everything and take all our money. I think except for the evil part, it's true. They do want to control a lot of things. They do want to kind of get involved in all kinds of things, healthcare and schooling and, and then all the things that affect healthcare and schooling and they want you to pay for it. Don't don't lose sight of that. But I don't think they're evil. And the flip of that, you know, you got the conservatives living out in the country and the, the outer suburbs. I say outer suburbs versus inner suburbs because there are suburbs that are super affluent suburbs very very close to urban areas where everyone who lives there works in the city you know and they're still connected to the city and they still share a lot of the same values and interests and then you get some more outer suburbs where maybe people don't uh, don't work in, in a big city and uh, don't really go to go to a big city and they've got some property and you know they're just around a different different world but so you get in those outer suburbs and rural areas and, you know, self-reliance makes sense as a value to teach people. You got to take care of yourself out here. You got to make sure you're making good decisions so that you can stand on your own two feet. You got to take care of your own family and not be waiting for someone else to come along and help you out. You got to figure it out. You got to be ready for winter. You got to be ready for... Whatever's coming. You're going to have a gun or guns and you're going to know how to use them. It's just the reality. You know your neighbors and you know your community. It's a different thing. And like I said... I know rural people are also using government programs. I know. But they don't talk about it. They don't tell each other. And so I think everyone assumes no one else is. Despite, despite the fact that statistically that's not the case. 
Let's not even talk about farm subsidies. But that's the reality we're living in. <clears throat> We've got one country, but it might as well be two planets. All these different experiences informing people's worldview. And then when there's a problem, they see the solution very differently. And I think the step, the solution to all of the, the strife and the fighting and the and the some of what I see going on this past summer, it seems like it's maybe cooled off, but actual violence where these different groups are uh, fighting in the streets. Which I was afraid was going to escalate, but seems like maybe it's calmed down a little bit, which is good. But the solution is to understand where we're coming from. And a lot of these states where the cities control everything because they just have the population to do it, you got to be mindful of the fact that you are essentially ruling over people who don't agree with you. You should be cool. Chill out. Don't assume you're right about how things should go. And don't assume that because somebody opposes your plan, they're evil or they're stupid or they're, what do they call them, MAGA hats or Trumpkins or whatever. Don't otherize your fellow citizens. You might not agree with them, but you got to think they've been doing it that way a long time. People have lived in my town since 1600s. And yeah, it's not the same town. You know, they they cut a highway through it in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, I think. Maybe it was mid-60s. Changed everything, became a suburban, became more suburban. A lot of people, a lot of neighborhoods of houses where there used to be farms and things like that. Yeah, all that's true. But essentially, the way things have done have been that way a long time. I mean, even if you just go back to the 60s and 70s, there's a there's a, a sense of, you know, this is how we do things. We take care of ourselves. You're responsible for yourself. And if you got trouble, you got family and neighbors. It's the way it works. And I get that may not be a reality if you live in a city, you live in a big city, you're not living that same life. But it doesn't mean the people who disagree with you are dumb. And if you live in the country and some city politician wants to impose a new tax on your business or wants to pass some law that's going to make some new rule that makes your life more difficult, I'm not saying he's right or she's right to do it. I'm just saying maybe they're not evil. Maybe they just don't get it. We could spend a little bit more time trying to understand each other and the worlds we live in and the motivation for our ideology and a little less time calling each other names we'd probably be a whole lot better off today's podcast is brought to you by my book The Toxic Masculinity Crisis on sale now at Amazon.com it's a collection of stories and life experiences and lessons learned about the patriarchy and masculinity and how those things aren't bad, but they're good. And how the assault on masculinity from the social justice warrior left 
while in the context of today's podcast it might not be evil the intention might not be evil the result is evil telling young men who more and more frequently are growing up without their fathers that what they truly are inside is not only unnecessary but bad that they should become crappy women is a lie and it's not good for our society what we need is strong men and the toxic masculinity crisis sorry about that the toxic masculinity crisis is like a little handbook to remind you what you know deep in your heart already that masculinity is good and that men should be masculine and they should seek to develop themselves and to be more and more masculine and then choose to be gentlemen it's definitely worth checking out if you've got men in your life husband, father, son nephew neighbor kid whose dad left being raised by a single mom or if you're a woman who wants to understand your husband better or understand your son better or you're a young lady who's thinking about getting married someday and trying to figure out what kind of gentleman you should be marrying this is the book for you so check it out it's amazon.com it's also on kindle it's affordable it's an easy read and I would very much appreciate it and I think you'll like it so far nobody who's bought the book has told me it was terrible and they want their money back so <laughs> there you go that's a good review in and of itself so listen I appreciate y'all tuning in to today's podcast I hope that you enjoyed it I hope you got where I was coming from I hope that I did a good job with that little message and we'll talk to you next time peace